This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Good afternoon. Bear down, baby. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hall. There has been a lot in what promises to be a busy offseason, whether it's speculation over the number one draft pick and Justin Fields being traded or the execution of the closing on the land in Arlington Heights. And Dan Weeder. The 2023 Bears are made for the offseason. They are a dream in terms of content, in terms of debates, in terms of talking points, in terms of developments. We're just getting started. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. David Haw, Dan Wiederer. After the NFL draft, you can find us on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch us on 670 The Score's YouTube page. Dan, busy weekend. A lot has been said about this draft class. The Bears get 10 players. A lot has been said about the ones they didn't draft. As much, if not more, about that. But the guys that they Bring in Hallis Hall this weekend for rookie minicamp. They are happy with Ryan Poles. I would think I have said put together a solid, not spectacular class, but a solid group of rookies. And I think that they addressed almost all of their needs with one glaring one still yet to be addressed, and that's the edge rusher. But they did get some players that will be relied upon right away. Yeah, you know that the the knee-jerk reaction in this league is to try to grade everything immediately after it happens. And you know that it's going to take three years before we know whether this class is a success or not. I think you and I started this offseason understanding that you had to marry free agency and the draft together and get to a point in May, which here we are, you know, my holiday on the NFL calendar, May 1st, because now we have everything in front of us to assess the roster. And we see a roster that is markedly better than it was when the Bears finished the season last year with 10 straight losses. You look at the offensive line and you've added a a top 10 first round pick in front of Justin Fields to go along with a, a top shelf free agent guard. And Nate Davis, weapons for Justin. They got him DJ Moore. They got him Tyler Scott. They got him Robert Tunyon. They got him Roshan Johnson. They got him Deontay Foreman. Offense feels better. Defensively, you've got free agent investments in Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards and a draft pick in Noah Sewell. You went out and drafted two corners. You rolled the dice on three defensive tackles this weekend, all of them hybrid models, according to Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflos. And so you feel that when Ryan sits up at the podium on Saturday night and says, we have made strides. We have made improvement that it's truthful. Now, the other part of that is the path from three wins to 11 or 12 is a long journey. And so they're very, in the very early stages of that. And so you can acknowledge both things, that they've made obvious roster improvements while also still having a long, long way to go. And Ryan's the first one to tell you that. So when you look at this class, I think the obvious question coming out of it is, and we'll stay general here for a moment, when you look at the group of 10, how many in 2023 do you think will be regular full-time starters? It's a good question. I'm just going to go down my list here. Darnell Wright, 100%. So Darnell Wright, that's got to be it, right? He's one. Uh, you, you look at the combination of Dexter and Pickens uh, on the defensive interior. One of those guys has to step up yeah. right, and become a starter. And that's the whole point. 
create competition, let one of those men win the job. That's two. I think the goal right now is for Tyreek Stevenson to be your outside starting corner opposite of Jalen Johnson with Kyler Gordon becoming your full-time slot guy. So that's three, right? And now all of a sudden you're just looking at, okay, how can you mix Roshan Johnson and Tyler Scott into the offense? I don't think they'll start. I don't think they'll be primary contributors right away, but those guys should contribute for you. Doesn't th- Don't think that Sewell is going to be a guy that, given what you invested in Edmonds and Edwards, that cracks the starting lineup right away. Could potentially be your, your number three linebacker, be Edges, Jack Sanborn aside. So I guess the, the that's a long path to saying three. <laughs> I, I think three is conservative. I, I do want to explore a couple of these possibilities because I think let's go to – what you said last there about the Noah Sewell pick. I really like that pick. I didn't think I would like a linebacker being drafted at all. Right. Because I don't think it's a position that I went into this draft thinking, boy, I can't wait till they draft a linebacker. Right. I would have preferred them with, you know, to be talking about the quarterback of choice today. But look, <laughs> Dan, I, I think when we talk about with due respect, Jack Sanborn is a football player. Jack Sanborn is somebody whose productivity uh, got him a lot of, well-earned respect and notice last year as a rookie. I don't know that that job is something he has a lock on. I think Noah Sewell, when you look at, and I found myself down this rabbit hole on Sunday, watching more tape of uh, Oregon football than I ever imagined only because it was rainy outside and had the time, (laughs) but he does some really nice things. He's an excellent blitzer. He, he, he's done. He relied on his athleticism to deal with blockers and get around them in college in a way that he probably won't be able to get away with in the NFL. But then I could see Noah Sewell sure. being a strong side linebacker starter, whether it's day one or not, but next year. Well, there's no question. And I think that speaks to a larger point here that when we zoom out on where the Bears stand in the complex of the NFL, we were talking all about placeholders and upgrades, right, for a long time here. And, and Jack Sanborn deserves all the praise that he's gotten over the last 12 months. At the same time, he was a productive starting linebacker for a 14-loss team for a month last fall, right? And so if you find somebody that can move your needle and make you a better defense right away, then you pivot in that direction right away and you push Sanborn back into a backup role, special teams role, and you feel comfortable that he's going to give you everything he has. Similar things are, you know, potentially in store um, – for, you know, I don't want to say in the same context, but, you know, Braxton Jones, right? Like a rookie that deserved all the praise he got as a rookie for a last place football team. Well, now he's going to be evaluated not as a fourth round pick out of Southern Utah, but as a starting left tackle in this league. And people inside that building will emphasize that and say the bar is higher in 2023. And as the Bears continually try to raise that bar, guys are going to have to clear it to keep their jobs. Those are two examples of guys that over time are going to have to fight to keep their jobs. Because I don't think, I think I'll say this, that I think the Bears are, are determined going into it to make Darnell Wright their right tackle. But I think they have confidence that the skills he showed at left tackle in college are also something that gives them flexibility if they decide to pivot in that direction. At Excuse me. I, I think you're right. That's a good call. He's got athleticism. He's got versatility. Even though right now it, you like the idea of them having two young tackles to develop. Yeah. Yeah, no question. And that, that's a good starting point. Um, I do think that they succeeded in our role, in, in our you know stated objective to get Justin help, to create the No Excuses Tour. I think you're there now. Right. I think I think you can honestly say that offensively you're there now. And now it's on, on Justin and Luke to get together and figure out what this whole thing looks like. And, the, and then let's put together a plan for how this offense can be much, much more productive. Well, as I said this morning on the Mullen Haw show, and I think it becomes the theme of the offseason from May 1st until September is that 
we can maybe now stop fixating on how the Bears are going to help Justin Fields succeed. And now we can start focusing on how Justin Fields is going to make those around him better. Correct. Because that's the next step for a young quarterback. How do you, as a franchise quarterback, elevate the play of everybody around you? Typically, we're talking about receivers here. Yeah. Certainly, you can help the offensive line, and he already has last year in terms of making it more difficult to be a guy who is sacked. But that is the next level, Dan. Would you agree that Justin Fields now has to lift as he climbs? That's the entirety of 2023, without question, because we can get uh, deep into discussions and, and justifiably so on every other play on the roster. But the defining traits of 2023 with the Chicago Bears are going to be what Justin Fields does in his third year as a starter and what he does for himself and those around him. There's no question that that is where the lens needs to stay, that that is where the center stage will be. And we've got a date now, David, May 11th is what we are told is the uh, schedule release date. So the No Excuses Tour will have dates and cities attached to it in less than two weeks. And so that's an exciting time for you and me. Do we know who's opening for the No Excuses Tour? Because I would love Tim McGraw to be the guy. It's his birthday on May 1st, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I'll put you in charge. Like You are okay. the promoter of this tour, and you can go out and figure out who wants to jump on the bus and get in on this. But I, I'm all for it. And again, like I think the first road trip uh, will probably be somewhere where the Bears go for uh, more than a weekend, right? And they, they spend the week doing crossover practices. And so the, the No Excuses Tour will start maybe Tennessee or Indianapolis or someplace in the AFC that, that allows them to, to get that thing kicked off right. If it's in Nashville, David, then I like I expect you one to be there and to have multiple headliner acts. Definitely. I'll have a I mean, I'll have a lot of options in Nashville. I like that town a lot. All right, Dan, back to the, the Bears roster and the draft picks. We talk about how the young offensive tackles are there as bookends now to develop on defense. You alluded to it. It's almost like we view them as a package deal. It's Dexter and Pickens, and he's not a Dexter Pickens, but it will become that to some Bears <laughs> fans somewhere. We'll get a call about what's the deal with Dexter Pickens. <laughs> well, you've got Javon Dexter and Zach Pickens, and both are athletic hybrid defensive tackles from the SEC. Dexter from Florida, Pickens from South Carolina. I don't know which one has higher expectations. I do know that we talked to an Our Lads analyst on Saturday, um, and he compared Dexter to Chris Jones. I don't wow. know if that's overstating it, wow. but are they similar? How are they different? And are both guys on a similar track? Well, we will learn more in the, the, the weeks ahead. You know, I, I always get excited for rookie camp because it, it, it not only gets us the opportunity to put our eyes on these guys in person, but it also opens the door to talk to the coordinators, to talk to the position coaches and try to get a, a fuller picture of the vision that this staff has for these guys. And so uh, it'll be Travis Smith overseeing those guys' development, and it'll be awesome to talk to him this weekend and just get a, a sense for similarities, differences. What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses? Where do we go? I will say with both those guys, David, you are betting on traits and potential more than you're betting on college production. Zach Pickens, notably on the, the Zoom call on Friday night, was open with us and saying, I wasn't consistent in college. It's a box I want to check at the next level is to find a way to, to become more consistent. It's not something you want to admit on your draft night, and it's something that you have to improve going forward. And I think both of these guys are going to have to show um, that, that they have the ability to develop 
and grow and be consistent because if not, then all of a sudden you're talking about that that pairing that I, I've brought up way too many times on the air of, of Ego Sutton uh, or Ego Ferguson and Will, <laughs> and Will Sutton, right? That that was talked about. Okay, here we got two defensive tackles, and neither of them amounted to anything in your organization, and you pivoted and had to reboot at that position again. You'd much rather these guys mirror the Tommy Harris, Tink Johnson production level, or Chris Jones. I like what you're throwing out there with Chris well, Jones. I mean, we're talking about an All Pro, Super Bowl winning catalyst of a defense. Then let's go for it. That wasn't necessarily my comp, but we talked to an analyst from uh, uh, from our lads who referenced that Ryan Poles was the director of scouting during Chris Jones's um, rookie year and during that draft. And I think that that was the idea was that ah. he saw much of Chris Jones in Jervon Dexter and that that is why he decided that would be a good direction to go and now if you get chris jones yeah i think this draft is going to be one we look back at as as uh, monumental and pivotal because that would be a sign that he's evaluating talent the right way i do think that's a bit premature <laughs> because you're talking about yeah although I, you know chris jones was also a second round pick he wasn't 53rd but he did go in the second round no doubt no doubt Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with this defensively. You mentioned it earlier, the the, the glaring need at edge rusher. It's the one piece of this offseason that leaves me scratching my head because when you go into free agency with the most salary cap space of any team in the league by far, you go into the draft with 10 picks. You figured somewhere along the lines you could have added something that that enlivened and juiced up your pass rush a little bit. As it stands, the only notable investment on the edge that Ryan Poles made the entire offseason was in Demarcus Walker, who's entering year seven with team four with 19 and a half career sacks. I think Ryan was um, forward, I think, on Saturday night and saying, look, there's still options out there for us. We can go back down the street free agent market. We can see if there's a combination of talent and practical value that matches up for us. And we can look and, and see if we can add something there. If they do, I think people in Chicago will go, nice job. If they don't, I think Ryan's point was this was never going to be a one-off season repair project. And we have next year. And I thought it was really notable, David, late Saturday night for Ryan to say that he was already putting some of his top lieutenants on the 2024 draft class so he could get a look on probably just to ease his nerves and anxiety. And like, if we don't have any edge rushing this year, can we get one next year and saying, okay, two first round picks 2024. This is what the board looks like. Okay, I feel a little bit better about taking a deep breath and not getting caught up in the anxiety that the rest of the world feels about our pass rush. Just take a deep breath, have a beer, relax. You a know, bourbon. He said he was going to have a bourbon Saturday night. All right, that's good. <laughs> well, for the sake of attribution, David Cyberston was the Our Lads analyst who made the comp of uh, Javon Dexter to Chris Jones because he remembered that 
Brian Poles was in Kansas City when that all happened. Okay, let's um, switch to offense back on the other side of the ball, Dan. I want to know what you think about how, uh, number one, Roshan Johnson fits into the plans. I think that you pointed this out, and I thought the same thing as the scouts talked about him, as the Bears talked about him. I can't remember somebody having that much praise lavished on him as a rookie who hasn't done anything. How does he fit? And Tyler Scott, the wide receiver who ran a 4-2-9 at Cincinnati, he's a guy that also can be a special teamer. But I thought those were fourth-round picks I didn't expect to see in terms of the positions they were drafted. Roshan Johnson, a running back, Tyler Scott, a wide receiver. I'll start with Scott because he was a name that, you know, I wrote a piece at ChicagoGerman.com in April about kind of the the speed and separation skills that Tyke Tolbert uh, values in the receiver position. And, and Tyler Scott's name was in that piece as a guy to keep an eye on as a day two guy that the Bears could look at. He lasts until day three. I think there were some people surprised around the league that he was still there. And the Bears took a calculated gamble on bringing him in with the belief that his speed can give him a dimension in the passing game that's going to make him very friendly to Justin Fields and that he has an ability uh, to be coached and develop and turn himself into something as a route runner that could potentially make him a weapon in more ways than just, hey, run deep, kid, you know, and let's now let's get you involved on some shorter routes, some quick game stuff, jet sweeps, whatever it may be. You've got an interesting piece here that now in instantly adds to the competition in that receiver's room because obviously I think you agree now. Now you've got a, a group of receivers that name recognition is high, potential is out there, production needs to be seen. You know, and so now this is the ultimate challenge that they set up. Um, I'll leave it there. I'll see if you got any feedback on that, and then I'll get into Roshan Johnson, who's, in my opinion, the most intriguing pick of the entire weekend. One of the things about Tyler Scott I wondered was that if they are devoting a fourth-round draft pick to a speed-wide receiver who they couldn't believe was on the board because a lot of draft boards had him much higher, as we would learn later, who is that a message to, if anybody? Because as you point <laughs> out, there's – Chase Claypool, there's DJ Moore, and obviously, now Darnell Mooney, I wonder if this says that he's not healing at the rate that they are comfortable with. I viewed it as a potential message or shot across the bow at um, Bayless Jones because the other two veterans, Pettis and St. Brown, you know, they're there, whether they're kind of, what do they mean? placeholders. They're kind of placeholders. But I do think that if you're talking about guys who need to, pick up the pace, if you will. Velas Jones will be at the top of that list. Is this a message to him? You brought up three names that I think are most significant. We got to learn more about where, where Mooney is in his recovery and rehab process, because as we mentioned, when it happened, it was one of those injuries that you go, oh God, I hope this doesn't create a long and grueling rehab. We need an update on that. Haven't gotten it yet. Need to dig on that a little bit more this weekend. When you ask who it's a message to, I think it might be Ryan Poles' message to Ryan Poles in saying, don't get married to mistakes you've made if you can acknowledge that they're mistakes. And so we'll see uh, where he is on Chase Claypool, where he is on Valus Jones, and how this all comes together. But adding another guy into the room that can challenge and compete for playing time and compete for touches is notable. And we're going to have to watch in the months of, of May and June and then in training camp in August to see how this all shakes out. Um, but I, I wouldn't put it past – uh, the notion that that Ryan understands that maybe he 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 swung too too aggressively at Chase Claypool and maybe didn't make contact. Maybe he did uh, have some errors in in judgment of who Valus Jones could be as a professional football player. It might be his own message to himself. That's interesting. I, I also think this, and, and wonder what you think about it. You have 
a receiver now that gives you a little bit more leverage when you're talking contract with Darnell Mooney, when you're talking contract with Chase Claypool. These are guys who are going to want second deals with the Bears after this season. And when that process starts is anybody's guess. But I do think that if you draft somebody like Tyler Scott, who was a great interview, I know yeah. he's dangerous uh, because he can't coach speed. And he might be a guy that becomes one of these just likable, productive players. <laughs> hey, remember, Darnell Mooney was a, was a fifth-round pick, so you no never doubt. quite know what you're getting. And I think that if you're Ryan Poles, you have leverage that you didn't have before the draft in dealing with these potential wide receivers who you want to negotiate contract extensions with. Darnell Mooney became everything I thought Anthony Miller was going to be, right? <laughs> yes, true. And so it's just a note. Like, is Tyler Scott everything that they thought Bayless Jones was going to be? You know, and 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 sometimes that happens in the the dosey do square dance of, of NFL roster building. You mentioned Tyler Scott being likable. I will point this out because this would be great for our audience. Tyler Scott said that he you know he grew up a running back, converted to wide receiver when he got to Cincinnati. Uh, said that he, one of the guys he studied as a running back was Gale Sayers. This oh, was wow. amazing to me. And he said his dad's favorite football player uh, was Dick Buckus. And his dad apparently has an uncanny resemblance to Mike Singletary. Oh, he does. And, and gets he, mistaken in public I, for Mike Singletary. So you can talk about a guy with Bears ties here. Tyler Scott brings it right to the table right out of the gates. I saw the video of the family being notified <laughs> of the draft call from the Bears. And I thought, what in the world is Samurai Mike doing in the living room? Uh, he you looks just like him. He should never pay for a ticket at Soldier Field if he ever was going to have to. He should just walk up and, you know, try to get the deep voice and say, hey, I'm here for the game today. You know, and like, good. <laughs> we want winners. <laughs> All right, so the, the running back situation. I, I think Roshan yeah. Johnson is somebody that sat behind Bijan Robinson for four years. You give him credit for not taking advantage of the transfer portal and being, you know, somebody who stuck it out. He did have – a productive college career. He wasn't overused, so his body will be fresh and rested. He did average five and a half yards per carry. And Dan, some of the highlights that we're privy to over the weekend, he runs with purpose and he's hard to bring down. He's a bigger back, 6'2", I believe 233, 223. So he is somebody that is a different stylistically. How does he fit in? Is this a message to, or not a message, but protection against Khalil Herbert, or maybe even Deontay Foreman because he's on a one-year deal. Yeah, another Texas running back. You spent five weeks shouting into the megaphone, get me the Texas running back, and they went out and did it. They just got you the second one, right. not the first one. Right school, so wrong guy. I, I'm intrigued by the competition that they've got set up in the running back's room because you got Herbert, you got Foreman, you got Roshan Johnson, you got Travis Homer. Somebody's going to have you got Kari Blasingame who's going to take a spot as a fullback. You know, it's just a, a numbers game there. And so now who's the odd man out, and what does this look like as all this unfolds? You've got a guy here that played – quarterback at a high level in high school was a stud coming out of high school as a quarterback and they they see things within that skill set that they can tap into offensively gonna be really curious to hear Luke Getze's vision on that at the same time I think you've got a guy that um you know has been productive that B. John Robinson himself spoke very highly of at the combine is saying, man, what a great teammate this dude is. And, and you mentioned it earlier, John city, the area scout came down shortly after that pick was made and talked to us for about seven minutes. And it was the most glowing seven minutes I've ever heard on draft weekend from inside a building about a prospect that's been drafted. And that's saying a lot. 
Um, they just think the character is off the charts, that, that that his ability to take whatever role they give him and master it is off the charts. That, that again, you know, having played quarterback, he doesn't have all the tread uh, or, or doesn't have all the mileage on him that, that a lot of running backs coming into the NFL have. And so they feel like they can tap into something here and have a total hidden gem. Will it happen? I don't know. You don't know. I don't know. We'll watch it unfold. But the way they sold it over the weekend, David, at least raised my eyes to be like, okay, I'm watching. You know, I've got my eyes on this now. It also reinforced just how important the character issue remains to the Chicago Bears. And it might be something that all teams talk about with mid-round draft picks. It might be something that is just a concept in many organizations, but it's very relevant to this draft and it's because of what happened Thursday night. So let's go back to that, Dan, because we haven't discussed it yet. I do wonder what your impressions after hearing all three days of Ryan Poles, after seeing how everything has unfolded and what everyone else around the league had to say, which was stronger in terms of the Bears' internal feeling on Thursday night? The desire to take Darnell Wright or the desire to avoid taking Jalen Carter? I cannot say which was stronger. I will tell you that they were both significantly strong. And that was clear with what we learned, with what we had talked about for weeks as what if this happens on draft night and it became made for TV drama, right? When the Bears went on the clock, Jalen Carter's still available. And rather than, than, than even answer that question, they said, you know what, Philly, you answer it. And they gave the Eagles the, the number nine pick and they, they traded back for a fourth rounder in 2024. And they let the Eagles take on that project, potentially that prize, with the understanding that they felt really confident with the player that they wanted to get in the first round. And it's darn all right. It's a guy that they've had as the top tackle ranked on their board. You and I were beating the drum for Paris Johnson Jr. They told us that Darnell Wright rated above him on their board. So that's notable to, to, to keep tabs on as we go forward. And obviously there's a lot is uh, going to be talked about and has been talked about, about the workout that they put him through on April 8th in Knoxville with Chris Morgan and, and Ryan Poles flying down to, to the campus of Tennessee and testing everything that Darnell Wright had in him, not only mentally with the recall of offensive concepts, not only uh, physically with what they put him through on the field, but, but mentally with his ability to grind and exert through a workout that was basically designed to gas him, and it didn't gas him. They got back on the plane and said, that's our guy. I like the way this is consistent with the way the Bears have approached everything under Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. I think it might have been a difficult uh, premise to, to lean on if you had drafted Jalen Carter at number nine. I know that the risk-reward assessment is different from one versus nine, but I think this is consistent with what they want to be as an organization. It's consistent with bringing Kevin Warren into the organization and having him be a beacon of integrity. All the things that people find easy maybe to scoff at are are easy to understand, really, because if the Bears want to be that kind of team and that kind of organization, this is in step with that. And also, Ryan Poles is, is becoming, I think, identified as a very practical thinker. And so this is practically the right move to make in going for your offensive linemen to, to solidify that position group of need rather than taking a risk that may, on a guy that might be a higher ceiling when you don't have the player infrastructure, the veteran infrastructure or experience to absorb that kind of risk. So to me, it made perfect sense. That latter point is huge because I've had folks say to me in, in Friday morning, uh, the, some of this intel came in, just the, the idea that you cannot just compare productivity 
against productivity between Darnell Wright and Jalen Carter because you have to acknowledge the circumstances that they're walking into and the sturdiness in Philly versus the instability that currently exists at Hallis Hall and how that factors into to how these guys will start their NFL careers. That said, Darnell Wright better become what you sold him as. He better become a nasty, mauling, offensive tackle who has resilience, who has toughness, who has growth potential, and who gets with Chris Morgan and turns himself in to one of the top 10 tackles in the league, right? Yes. That's why you use a top 10 yes. pick on a guy there. He might have to become a top six tackle in the league for you to get the return on investment that you made in him. The Bears are confident that's going to happen. Darnell Wright seems like he's in for whatever Chris Morgan wants to throw at him. And by the way, it's going to be intense. But that's an interesting sort of uh, footnote on all that, understanding that the Bears – obviously made internal decisions through lengthy discussions that now was not the right time and maybe never was going to be the right time for a player like Jalen Carter. They're more prepared to develop Darnell Wright than they are Jalen Carter. And if you're Howie Roseman in the Eagles and Jalen Carter, Jalen Carter doesn't work out, it costs your roster spot. If you're Ryan Poles and the Bears and Jalen Carter doesn't work out, it may cost people their jobs. That's yeah. a big difference. And I think that is the way to look at it. So I understand what they're, what they did and why they did it. And you're right. Now that Darnell Wright is here, now he has, you know, the ceiling. He needs to be a top five to 10 guard or right tackle or offensive tackle in the NFL. There's no question about it. And we'll see where that, where that goes. So before we get out of here, Dan, overall, I think that, you know, we talk in general terms and we take a step back and yeah, I know you love Sunday morning after the draft <laughs> because it allows you the clarity and, and the, the perspective of seeing exactly what the Bears accomplished or exactly what teams are looking at as the offseason, you know, gets in a different phase. When you look at the Bears, how would you describe what they accomplished in drafting the 10 players they did? They got on the on-ramp to six or seven wins. <laughs> I mean, right, like that's where we're at in this journey. Now you're, you're ultimately trying to get many stops up the road, you know, to 11 to 12 to playing deep into January to one day potentially playing in February, but they got on the road to going forward. And I think that's really important after going backwards and in reverse and having the GPS yell, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating a dozen times last season, which confused everyone in the city. At this point, I think you've seen notable improvements at many spots on the roster. And now it's about how quickly you can accelerate those guys into becoming what you want them to become. And so that it's going to be fascinating to watch. And I think you're talking about the talent upgrade and talent alone, I think says that you're right. You're, you're six to seven wins now as a roster rather than where you were three to four. And that's the other element to this. If you're a six and seven win possibility team or potentially that kind of team with your talent, your coaching, if you believe in it, might be able to steal you one or two more. So you're flirting with respectability and nobody's going to be deluded into thinking or shouldn't be deluded into thinking they're in a position to contend in the, in the division or take the North, if you will, but they are headed in the right direction. It is year two. And you have to remember it doesn't happen in one season. You can't answer all the questions and you can't make all of those jumps. Yeah, no question about it. A couple footnotes for me as we kind of wrap up the draft discussion. That schedule release 
a week and a half from now will give us a date for when Bryce Young comes to Chicago with the Panthers to start against the Bears. That's going to be a date you're going to want to circle on your calendar because that'll be interesting uh, to see where he's at in the early stages of his rookie year growth in Carolina. That's obviously the pick that the Bears once owned and gave the, the Panthers the option of of rebooting at their most important position. The other one, David, for me, uh, to hear Ryan Poles gush late Saturday night about seventh-round selection Travis Bell out of Kennesaw State was pretty notable. He called him one of his favorite human beings, said that this guy was holding down basically a, a full-time job as he was playing college football last year. We got to learn more about this, but they certainly took a, a seventh round flyer on seeing if they could get a defensive tackle from a smaller school to come in and realize his dreams with all of the elements of passion and hustle and drive and work ethic that the organization seems to value. He's going to be an interesting story to chronicle because it seems like uh, they've fallen in love with him, and it's very rare that you fall in love with a seventh-round guy. And Ryan uh, certainly certainly gushed, as I said Saturday night, about, about the kid and what he's made of. Yeah, the last three picks, uh, Terrell Smith, Travis Bell, and Kendall Williamson, did seem like character weighed heavily in their description, in their drafting, being drafted, and and also just in the way they were being described. Those are guys you want to meet. That's what will make this weekend's rookie minicap fun. Dan, we should get together later in the week and kind of preview that and catch up on whatever else is going on, as well as the potential for maybe pursuing that veteran pass rusher, whoever may still be on the market. We should talk about that later this week. Yeah, I'm all for it. Let's do it. All right, so that's our draft wrap-up for 2023, Ryan Poles' second draft class. It has been a lot of fun going through it, and we will continue to talk about it as we move forward. We'll be back on Friday morning to talk about what's ahead for the rookie minicamp at Hallows Hall. For Dan Weeder and Adam Sadzinski, our producer, I'm David Hoff on the Mullion Haw Show. We'll talk to you next time on Take the North. Happy May 1st!